Hello, this is your Polycast for Wednesday, May 13th, your daily check-in on Minnesota politics. I'm Mike Mulcahy with NPR News. On today's edition, Governor Walls is set to lay out his next steps and remembering one of those lost to COVID-19. At 6 tonight, Governor Tim Walls will give a speech to announce whether restrictions Minnesota has been living under for several weeks will ease or continue. COVID-19 cases and fatalities remain on the rise in the state, but adherence to the governor's stay-at-home order and other directives seems to be fading. Brian Baxt has more. It's been about three weeks since Governor Walls debuted his dial. It was a visual device to accompany what he hoped would lead to an orderly reopening of Minnesota's economy. But it would only turn if he and advisors felt confident about safety. Trying to figure out when do we move the dial is going to be predicated on can we answer those questions about it. Since then, the political pressure on Walls to crank the knob faster has grown more intense. It has manifested itself in lawsuits and in a few instances resulted in outright defiance. A St. Paul barber opened his shop before being ordered shut again. In Stearns County, some bar and restaurant owners are making plans to serve customers on site no matter what Walls does with a dine-in ban in place until Monday. Chris Schiffler owns six establishments there and is done waiting for a green light from the state. We sat our two weeks, we sat another two weeks, we sat another two weeks. Schiffler says he's worked with local officials, presented health protection plans, and will step up cleaning to keep patrons safe. We're going to do it. We're going to go for it. We're going to take the jump off the ledge and and we're going to do it. Le- we're going to try to do it as legal as possible. We're going to try to obey everything. Um, like I said, we we let everybody know in advance what we're doing. We're opening for business. Either we're opening now or we're closing forever. Earlier this week, the state Senate passed a bill that would allow for any business with a coronavirus safety plan to open up. It would also grant them immunity from any regulatory crackdown for opening without state permission. Republican Senator Mark Johnson of East Grand Forks spoke and voted in favor of it. Because up in my neck of the woods, we all have haircuts. We all are able to go out uh, and eat dinner, and we're able to go to the shoe store and get our shoes. We're able to do all these things. The only problem is that we've got to go across the border to get them. He says towns along the state's western border feel especially pinched. But Johnson says that sense of strain is pervasive. Open up, Governor Walls. It's time. You're bleeding us dry. Our citizens are hurting. Local boards around Minnesota are bringing up resolutions that encourage the governor to back off from restrictions or that make clear they won't enforce them. Chanhassen City Council considered a reopening proclamation on Monday. Councilmember Julia Coleman put it forward. Salon owners, restaurants, and business owners are capable of choosing whether they are comfortable and capable of safely reopening while following safety recommendations, protecting themselves, their employees, and their customers. Mayor Elise Ryan saw it as overly partisan and joined a successful effort to table it for a future meeting. I think it's a false narrative to say that if we don't support um, this proclamation that we're um, not supporting our local businesses. Last week, Wall seemed bothered by the budding trend. If each community is going to determine on their own, it makes it very difficult to have community health because if that community ends up spreading um, to others, it is a problem. Walls will make a few calls this week. He must decide today if he will extend his peacetime emergency declaration that gives him flexibility to make moves on his own and deploy resources. There's every indication he will do that. It's less clear what will come of the stay-at-home order that's in its seventh week, 
or the operation limits on restaurants, bars, and other entertainment venues. Both orders lapsed first thing Monday. The governor says he understands the frustration of business owners and idled workers who took a financial punch, but is weighing it against the public health risk. This is one of those difficult things that if we do this right, it'll appear like we're wrong because we didn't overrun the health care system. And about that wall's dial. He says it could move in either direction. So if it turns too fast toward reopening and the virus picks up steam, Wall says he's prepared to spin it back. Brian Baxt, NPR News. The Minneapolis public school system will operate a lot differently come 2021. Officials approved a plan last night to redraw attendance boundary lines. Reham Fashir reports the vote comes after weeks of discussion and hours of passionate public testimony about the controversial proposal. Hi, my name is Erin Klotfelter. I'm a Pillsbury parent. Hello, my name is Bill Graves. My name is Kira Rankin, and I'm a Minneapolis resident and parent. Hundreds of parents left voicemails that were played at last night's meeting about the comprehensive district design, also known as the CDD. Some parents felt strongly about uprooting their school communities, while others feel that the plan is a drastic change that would achieve equity. School communities across the city already feel divided. That's because certain neighborhoods have typically received more funding and resources than others. The CDD plan has created even more divisiveness. Chris Schneider is a parent of two students in the district who asked the district to delay the vote until things calm down from COVID-19. I am absolutely dumbfounded and, and dismayed and, and, and amazed that you guys are, are, are continuing with this CDD plan when there's so much turmoil right now. But Makisha Nation, a parent of three African-American students in the district, urged the board to move forward. I know you're going to get pressure um, given COVID of why are we doing this now? Shouldn't we just wait till we things get back to normal? If we're really honest with ourselves as a community, normal wasn't serving the needs of all of our students long before we ever heard of the coronavirus. School officials say the CDD would finally address long-standing achievement gaps based on race and income. It would move about 14% of students to new buildings. The district plans to integrate schools, shift funding from busing to educational programs, and add resources to underserved schools. All of that, they say, would help students receive a better, well-rounded education. Board member Kimberly Caprini has spent hours at past board meetings watching officials implement policies that she says deliberately took resources away from the north side of Minneapolis. Caprini, who's black, says her own children have lived through disparities that the CDD plan is trying to solve. This is academic justice. It is academic justice for a system that has failed black and brown children. I cannot in good conscience delay this vote. The plan aims to reduce racially identifiable schools. It would centralize magnet programs like dual immersion, arts, and technology, moving them to new locations. Those magnet schools would become neighborhood elementary schools. Magnet and dual immersion schools are popular, and many families of color don't want to have to switch out of those programs that are working for them. The plan would cost $11.5 million in 2021, with ongoing hefty costs in the future. Parents last night said they worry about financial implications of the CDD. 
Their comments come at a time when the COVID-19 pandemic has put thousands of people out of work, including Minneapolis taxpayers. But 63% of Minneapolis students choose to go elsewhere, and board members say the district must address these enrollment declines. Jenny Arneson says the board's discussions didn't start with boundary changes or grade configurations. They started with educational disparities, and it's why she voted to move forward with the plan. Every family has a unique story about how they came to be at a particular school, and we hear that passion over and over. So I've asked myself many times, why press forward with this difficult conversation that will certainly leave many unhappy? And I go back to the beginning of this process. Minneapolis school officials say this plan is just the beginning of the work to close the achievement gap. They say pieces of the district design could change as implementation moves forward. Reham Fischier, NPR News. More than 600 Minnesotans have died from COVID-19. As the weeks go on, we're learning their names and more about the lives that ended too soon. Today, reporter Kirsty Marone shares the story of Steve Anderson, a small-town lawyer and judge known for his wit and compassion. He recently became Mille Lacs County's first victim of the coronavirus. When Steve Anderson started law school at the University of Minnesota back in the 70s, he ended up sitting in class next to a guy named Barry Anderson. No relation. They got to be friends and worked at the same law firm for 15 years until Barry Anderson was appointed a Minnesota Supreme Court justice. He says Steve was a thoughtful lawyer who didn't need to be the center of attention. Some of us, myself included, will go on at great length about what we think about a particular issue or how we should handle it. Steve would be the guy that would speak at the end. We'd all look at each other and say, well, that makes sense. We'll do what he says. In the 80s, Steve and his family moved to the central Minnesota town of Princeton. He practiced all kinds of law, estate planning, probate, criminal. Sometimes clients didn't have money for their bill. Steve wasn't particularly fussy about the accounting. One client paid him in ears of corn. In 2006, he was appointed to the bench in Mille Lacs County. His wife, Karen, says being a judge was the perfect job for him. He just thrived there. I mean, it just took all his personality, all his years of uh, criminal work, and uh, he's been the city attorney for 20 years. So he knew everyone's situation from Malacca to Foley. As a rural judge, Steve presided over cases both joyful and heartbreaking adoption, divorce, even murder trials. Judges see the bad side of human nature, and those cases disturbed Steve, Karen says, but he believed in the legal process. Karen and Steve have two sons, Chris and Mark. Mark says his dad always came to their swim meets and scout meetings and took on incredibly challenging home repair projects. That's the kind of guy he was. He would, you know, he put our bathroom in downstairs. He pounded wells at our, at our uh, cabin, and he always installed our dock even when we were little, which is no small feat when you're, when you're a one-armed guy. Mark says his dad had been missing one arm since birth, but rarely talked about it. Most people didn't notice. If they did ask about it, he'd give a crazy answer, like he'd lost it in a bear attack. One of Steve's favorite ways to connect with his kids was watching movies, horror movies, even when they were young. Mark remembers being terrified and hiding behind the couch. I gotta say, I mean, that's my favorite genre to this day because of that, but I... Did it give me nightmares growing up? Probably. (laughs) Two years ago, Steve retired due to health issues. This spring, he and Karen traveled west to look at retirement homes. Four weeks into the trip, things took a turn. Karen said Steve had congestion and body aches, but none of the typical symptoms of COVID-19. 
no fever, no dry cough, no loss of smell. Still, they decided to return home early. He ended up in the hospital and tested positive for the coronavirus. He was transferred to Bethesda Hospital in St. Paul. And then the next morning, um, I get a call. Steve had lost oxygen. His heart had stopped. CPR, 45 minutes. And then he's intubated, respirator, no reaction, brain dead. And we can't even say goodbye because he's not there. Their son Mark lives in New York City. He decided he couldn't travel to Minnesota and risk exposing his family to the virus. They ended up just putting the phone up to his ear and to the extent that he can hear me. That's the last time I talked to him when he was alive, which is uh, awful. And I uh, hope no one ever has to go through that. Mark says the pandemic has paused the grieving process for his family. There's no funeral, no chance to get together and share memories. He says it has been cathartic to write and talk about his dad. Don't sit there and just think it's going to go away, that feeling. Talking to other people about it, just like I'm doing right now, is helpful. Like It helps you, you know, grapple with the loss of someone. Steve Anderson was the first confirmed case of COVID-19 in Mille Lacs County. He died on April 17th at age 65. His family hopes that his sudden loss will help others understand just how serious this disease can be. Kirsty Marone, NPR News, Brainerd. And that's your Polycast for this Wednesday, your daily check-in on Minnesota politics. I'm Mike Mulcahy with NPR News.